What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 171 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. Things are going well for the Atlanta Braves right now, and uh, joining me, a, uh, I guess it's not even really a special guest, because he really kind of runs the show in my life. Chris Willis is here, the managing editor of Talking Chop. What's up, man? Hey, Brad. How are you doing, buddy? I'm all right. Uh, it's good to have you. Uh, normally, people are subjected to the uh, the cast of characters that is uh, myself, Scott, and Eric, but... Uh, when the boss is around, we gotta we gotta gotta get him on the podcast. So uh, uh, I appreciate you uh, joining me. <laughs> well, I appreciate the invite. Uh, it's been a while. It has been, and uh, you and I go way way back to Hawks days, and I replaced you running the Hawks side of SB Nation's outlet and all this all this kind of stuff. So uh, we have a lot of history going on here, and we'll hopefully uh, navigate na- navigate this thing together. But um, listen, it's. It's a good time to have you and just a good time to talk about the Braves right now because the Braves are scalding hot, as everybody knows. Uh, you know, even with a couple of losses this week, it was like they were, uh, of course, they're not going to win every single game every single day. But uh, even with a couple of losses and some weirdness that we're going to talk about in terms of uh, Mike fulton et etc., etc., the Braves are now in an even better position than, the, than they were last week because, uh, in part, Philly is just dying a slow and kind of beautiful death if you're a Braves fan. Um, but just as a reminder here, just set the stage a little bit. The Braves were 18 and 20 on the morning of May 10th. They are now 46 and 32. That means they are 28 and 12 in their last 40, which is uh, a 70% win rate. And uh, basically, you know, winning 70 winning 70% of your games in baseball doesn't really happen all that often. That's about that's about 113 win pace over that 40 game sample. So a six and a half game lead in the East, and that makes it easy to talk about, but we'll, we'll go through what happened uh, this week, sort of blow by blow to some extent. But uh, I mean, I guess the easiest question is how you feel about the Braves right now? Oh man, it's hard, hard not to feel great about them. Um, you know, it, the offense is, uh, has carried it. It feels like for, at least for the whole month of June and uh, you know, by adding Austin Riley, Josh Donaldson coming around, Freddie Freeman being his usual spectacular self, and you know a little bit of Ronald Acuna and everyone else, uh, that team's just rolling. And um, you know, they it's it speaks volumes that they can have a stinker like they did on Saturday, where Fultonevich gives up eight runs and still have a chance to come back and win that game. Um, you know, it's just that they don't. It just feels like they're never out of one right now. That's really true. I mean, obviously they got um, they got blown out once this week when Julio Tehran got beat up on Tuesday. But even then, like you mentioned, Saturday that's Saturday's kind of a perfect situation and a good example of this team right now to be as bad as Fulty was and to be in this big hole. Um, they give up, you know, they give up uh, four, four walks and a bases clearing double. Uh, I guess the Braves to come back to tie it at eight. And then even then they go, they go they go behind again after a wild pitch, but you know still full resolve and have uh, Camargo and Swanson lead the charge with four in the bottom half of that inning and uh, finish off a victory. So yeah, I mean it's it's good um, microcosm of what's transpired this season, we, and we'll get more to this in a second. But the Phillies um, are doing their part, having lost eleven of thirteen, and they were swept by the Marlins at home. It, it does not get worse than that. That's the worst possible outcome I think uh, in baseball is being swept by a divisional opponent that's as bad as the Marlins are and doing it at home to lose 11 out of 13. So if you are the type that uh, takes uh, pride when the NL East rivals really struggle, it's an easy one right now because in addition to the Phillies doing all that, the Mets had a weird situation today with their manager, got into it with someone in the media and did a bunch of Mets stuff, and then the Braves beat the beat the Nats over the weekend. Um, so you know everyone going the wrong way is good for the Braves. I, I, it's easy to take uh, some solace in that. Oh, no doubt. Um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of strange. I mean... 
a lot of people weren't sold on this Phillies team from the from the beginning, but it seems like the the moment um, McCutcheon went down with that injury, a lot of their problems have just magnified. the The pitching's been suspect. The hit offense's been inconsistent, and you know you just got to feel like there's a lot of pressure on that group um, after you know the, the off season they had. And I think it's a similar situation what you saw with the Mets. I mean, they were the darlings of the off season, you know, for uh, for most of the for most of the winter months. Uh, the rest of the division wasn't doing anything. They were out here making trades, signing people, and you know, for whatever reason, it just hasn't worked at all. And uh, you know, the, it's the like you said, the whole the whole division just seems to be in a spiral, except for the Braves and uh, and for this weekend at least the Marlins. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, the timing of the Mets thing today was interesting because they they had just won two games in a row. I mean, they lost today, but it isn't like they're in this like widespread panic, you know, bottoming out. They're 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 thirty seven and forty one. The Nats. There was this momentum over the weekend because of how bad Philly was playing that the Nats were the team to uh, challenge the Braves if they were going to challenge them, and then the Braves took care of business with two with two wins in a row. So, you know, they feel good right now. We'll come back to this in a second, but a six and a half game lead. In you know late June is a great situation to be in, obviously. And uh, I, for one, will cop to the fact that I did not think that the Braves were going to be up six and a half games at the end of June. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, before we get to the sort of the, the week that was, I do want to do a couple of newsy things here. And that uh, first one is that the All Star finalists are now set. There's this weird thing this year. I think we touched on it a couple weeks ago about how the voting is different now. Where basically now there's a top three per position that that people will be voting on starting on the 26th. So there's this two tiered system. The Braves now have still seven guys up for All Star finalist duty, and that's Freeman, Albies, Donaldson, Swanson, McCann, Acuna, and Marcakis. Um, it's top nine in the outfield, top three in every other position. Um, no real action item here, other than to say. It would be a surprise if the Braves didn't have some didn't have some starters, and I think they're going to have some uh, even some more All Stars beyond that. But anything strike you as noteworthy there, other than, other than just the weirdness of the uh, situation and all, how the voting is going to be going? I'm not the biggest All Star guy in the world, so I um I keep being surprised. Even even though I know the situation is different this year, I keep being surprised whenever I whenever I remember that. Oh yeah, there's this weird voting thing now. Oh uh, yeah, the the new for- format is interesting at least. Um, you know, but it seems like this weird. I don't know. I, I'm like you. The All Star Game is the All Star Game. It doesn't, you know, have a lot of bearings on the on the season and how things are going. I feel like it's a pretty nice honor, you know, for, especially for a guy like Marquez who, you know, had his first trip last year. But, um, you know, this this new. It seems like there's this new thing where you know just everybody's voting for all eight position players from their their favorite team, and uh, you know, so I think in the, adding the two tiers of voting. Um, you know, that's just led to more of that. Uh, not saying the Braves don't have some deserving um, candidates because they certainly do. Uh, you know, and I think uh, five, you know, they may end up with multiple starters again this year and uh, multiple representatives in the game. Yeah, I mean, one of the guys I want to sort of use that, use that as a bridge to discuss real quickly is Freddie Freeman, um, who, you know, is always awesome. And we talk about him sometimes, but I think I'm guilty on this podcast of just kind of brushing over Freddie because he's kind of, you know, boringly awesome in some ways. But I was reminded when I was looking at through some stats um, over the over this stretch when the Braves were 18 and 20 till now when they're 28 and 12 in this last 40 games. And coming into Sunday, um, I guess this is before Sunday's game, but Freeman had a 181 WRC plus in this stretch for the Braves with 14 home runs in 38 games. 
which is just ridiculous. He has a 704 slugging percentage in that time, 413 on base percentage. And uh, I was reminded beyond that, when I was looking through this stuff just to talk about how awesome Freddie is, he's one of the best players over the last, you know, six and a half, seven seasons. Since he, since he really arrived as like the full-fledged version of what he is now in 2013, he is sixth in uh, Fangraph's war in the entire league behind only Mike Trout, Josh Donaldson, ironically, a teammate of his now, Buster Posey, Paul Goldschmidt, and Mookie Betts. He's fifth in WRC Plus among qualified guys over that time span, you know, six and a half years, and third in overall offensive value behind only Trout and Goldschmidt. So I think we all know that Freddie Freeman's awesome, but it's worth a reminder every once in a while. And, you know, just the fact that he's been a legitimately elite flat-out elite player for, you know, seven seasons now. And I think it's almost, not, not that it's forgotten, but I think he's not he's just not discussed in that way nationally all the time. So maybe he flies under the radar to some degree, but, you know, Freeman has been a super-duper star for seven straight seasons and to the point where he's been a top-ten player in all of baseball over that time. Uh, no doubt, and I'm, I'm as guilty as you are. I mean, it's just like we just expect Freddie uh, greatness from Freddie, and, and we kind of gloss over the fact when he goes on these, these in, incredible stretches um, and it seems like that happens every season. Um, I mean, he's having one of the best first halves of his career ever. And, uh, I mean, he's two home runs away from equaling all of last year, and he's just seven off, uh, off the pace of 2017. Uh, his career high is 34, and it looks like that's, you know, he, he may he may blow way past that if, uh, if th- he, things continue. So, uh, But, you know, he does it quietly. Um, there's a lot of other people to talk about in Atlanta, Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, all these young players. And, uh, you know, Freddie's just there doing what he does. And that's just, uh, you know, he's still the most, to me, he's still the most important player on this team. And he's the one guy, you know, they really just can't aff- afford to have go down for any stretch of time. Yeah, I mean, even with a one for five today, um, he still has his career high in WRC+. Plus. At 158, he's slugging 605, which would be comfortably a career high for him over a full season. He has a 300, 400, 600 slash line with 21 home runs. So like he's on pace for, you know, 41, 42 home runs, something in that range, depending on what you want to do with the math. Like he's having the best best season of his career. Now it may, it may not continue, but it wouldn't be a surprise if it happened, given the fact that he's you know, he's 29, he'll be 30 in September. That's kind of a prime-ish area for a first baseman in particular. So. All the power that he's showing this year is really intriguing. That's always been, I guess, if, if you wanted to find one knock on Freddie, especially early on in his star-level tenure, it was that he wasn't like an uber power hitter. He always had power, but his first three seasons, he basically slugged in the high 400s to maybe low 500s. Recently, though, you know, he had the big breakout 2016 season with five with, with a 569 slugging percentage, then 586 in 2017. He took a little bit of a step back last year in power, but now it's back to a career-high level. So, you know, it's just worth pointing out, through the prism of all-star stuff and through the prism of just what's transpired to have this team in this position, a lot of factors are in play here. But having Freddie Freeman playing MVP caliber baseball is very helpful. And honestly, if the season ended right now, you could pretty easily make a, make an argument for Freddie Freeman as the NL MVP. I'm not saying he would win it, but he certainly would be a full-blown contender for it, given the way the Braves are playing. Team record always seems to matter on this stuff, even if it probably shouldn't necessarily matter all that much. It definitely does, if we're being honest about it. And I think Freddie has as good of an argument as almost anybody in the National League, you know, other than you know Mike Trout in, in the American League, fortunately, to open up the playing field a little bit. Cody Bellinger would probably win, still, given the fact that he was just so ridiculous for so long early on in the season but you know freddie would be up there just you know narrative and production wise he's been awesome 
Oh, without a doubt. I was going to say, you know, Cody Bollinger's got the, the Dodgers are going to have this amazing record, obviously, at the end of the season as well. So that kind of that kind of hurts Freddie's chances. Uh, but, you know, he's here's another he's, you know, again, he's just not mentioned at all. But at the end, year after year, you know, his numbers are right there. Uh, among the best in the league, not just the National League, but the whole entire majors. Uh, so, you know, he's he's amazing. Um, and, and I think he's, you know, he's just showing he, he's almost just getting better every year. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of a scary thought with the way this Braves roster is uh, just keep, seems to keep getting younger. Yeah, we'll have uh, time to talk about Freddie's contract in the future, which is going to be an interesting point of discussion. And by the way, just for the record, I think I'd vote for him in third behind Bellinger and Yelich before I get yelled at for being a homer in some way. Although that, that rarely happens. We're usually accused of not being homers. But, um, you know, Freddie, <laughs> Freddie, I would say it would be third on my ballot. And, and that's pretty impressive given how, again, how ridiculous Bellinger and Yelich have been. So Freddie's been great, and he's just a model of consistency. And that's really nice to have him in the middle of that lineup, quite obviously. Um, other news before we get to the uh, to what actually happened this week. Sean Newcomb hit the uh, concussion IL, the seven-day version, on Wednesday. He did come back and pitch on Saturday in Gwinnett. I did not see any of that, but two scoreless innings, five strikeouts for Newcomb. He could start this week. Um, that, that would be a possibility, given that we'll talk about Fulte later, but Fulte is no longer in the rotation for a while, and then Mike Soroka has some weirdness today, getting hit by a pitch and having to leave the game. So, you know, I don't really have an action item here, other than Newcomb, you know, fortunately looks to be okay after the concussion thing. They took that um, wisely, gave him a couple days off on the IL, and, uh, you know, with the rehab appearance, he looks to be on track to come back, and honestly, people are asking about him being the closer. So, you know, Newcomb I'm not sure what role it, I'm not I'm not I'm not sure what role it's going to be in the near future. But Newcomb has, some, has been someone who's been really good this season, and he is someone that the Braves absolutely need to be healthy and ready to go. Oh, no doubt, uh, and that was a, what a scary uh, you know situation yeah, that, was that was. Yeah, and uh, you know for him to you know just be out what basically seven days to get him back, and uh, you know like I said, he looked pretty good in his rehab uh, outing last night. Um, so you know hopefully he's all right. And he'll be back soon, no matter what role it's in. Um, but I, I'm like you. I think, uh, you know, we may actually see him get that start on Thursday. Yeah, it seems like that might be a possibility. And we'll come back to that at the end. We're talking about Fulte. Uh, last newsy item is that Josh Donaldson somehow avoided the suspension that he got from the Pirates fracas a couple of weeks ago. You rarely see a guy win his appeal. But he did. That was a, a weird situation that I, w- I want to at least say out loud. It doesn't really have a huge impact because Donaldson has a day off every once in a while. It wouldn't have been a big deal if he served a suspension. But um, I guess it's good for his wallet. They didn't have to sit out a game and have it be unpaid. Oh, no doubt. And I, I, I was trying to think of a, another situation where I think a guy had wanted his appeal, especially on one as, as short as one game suspension. And I couldn't, I couldn't come up with anybody. I'm sure there has been another instance. Uh, but I was really surprised when he didn't rest that day game, uh, yep. I think it was in the series finale, and with Musgrove pitching, and uh, uh, of course, I'm obviously I'm I'm kind of glad he didn't because uh, you know he's playing well uh, right now, and you really don't want to take him out of the lineup, but uh, he's probably got a day off coming soon. But that was a bar- bizarre situation, and uh, to see him win his appeal uh, was pretty surprising, at least for me. I'd almost forgotten about it, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, until that popped up the other day. 
Because it was only one game, it was almost inconsequential because, he, like we said, he does take days off every once in a while, so it wouldn't have been a big deal. But it was just noteworthy in that he won, and no one seems to ever do that. Um, by the way, as an update here uh, on Donaldson, which I feel like we do every week, but it's worth pointing out, after a home run today, he has a, he now has a 125 WRC+. plus. He's on pace for 30 homers this season, and he's been very good at baseball. So for everyone that always likes to complain about Josh Donaldson, he's been uh, very good this season. And by the way, even with all the rest days that he had, he's on pace for like three and a half wins, which would uh, far, again, far exceed um, the sort of the dollar per win, the dollar per win um, ratio to uh, get up and beyond his $23 million. So if you are someone who hates the, on the Donaldson contract, uh, you're in the wrong so far on a per, on a per game basis. That's for, that's for sure. Uh, no doubt, I haven't heard. Uh, I haven't heard quite as much of those. Uh, over it's the been last quieter week lately. So. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I mean, he was killing. He was hitting the ball hard. He's hit the ball hard all season. You looked at the exit velocity you, uh, numbers. You kind of felt like that uh, a good stretch was ha- going to have to come at some point. And uh, you know, he's he's showing that he's still got some stuff left in the tank. So hopefully, you know, he can maintain that over the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm on board keeping him rested, giving him a day off as frequently as he'd like one. You know, 33 years old. He's the guy, uh, other than Marcakis, who probably needs to be handled with the most care in terms of giving him rest, and they've been doing a pretty good job with that so far. So uh, good on the Braves for that one. Um, okay, Chris, before we, get, before we get to the week that was and the uh, actual results and everything that transpired, I want to take a break real quickly for some sponsors, and we'll come back in just a few seconds. All right, Chris, we're back. And uh, let's just start on Monday, because Monday was a fun one. The Braves... Uh, rocketed to a 12-3 to victory on Monday against the Mets, the lowly Mets that we discussed earlier. It was a nice way to start the week off because of the fact that, you know, it's obviously like the Braves have been playing well in general, but just starting the week off with a, a very, very, very comfortable win. That was their 10th win in 11 games, 13-16. and 16. Everyone contributed, basically, other than Danzy Swanson had kind of a quiet day, but everybody else got, got on base multiple times. He had three home runs from Acuna, McCann, and Albies. And uh, Mike Soroka, after his first like questionable start of the entire season, came back with six solid innings, and the bullpen was awesome, too. So Monday's one of those games that's like really easy to discuss because it was such a lopsided, a lopsided win. But starting off the week that way is uh, always helpful. Oh, no doubt. And, uh, you know, it just seems like it's almost to the point. Soroka's been so good. It's almost to the point where, you know, you just you take him for granted, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, I mean, I'm surprised when he doesn't pitch well. Uh, but you forget that that guy, he's still so young and in his first full, really his first full season uh, and coming off that shoulder injury. I mean, that's that's just a thing of the past. He just looks so poised uh, up there. And when he's on, I mean, he's just he's just very difficult to uh, difficult for opponents to handle. Yeah, the, the 21-year-old, by the way, Mike Soroka, people have seemingly forgot, because he's, he's been around for a long time in our consciousness, and I know on this podcast, Eric, and on the, on the site, Eric has loved him for so long that it feels like he's been around in my life even for a lot longer than a guy who's 21 years old should be, but he's still 21 until August, and uh, he's been ridiculously lights out on, the, on his way to an all-star berth, I have to imagine, barring some sort of collapse here. He's had that kind of resume, and uh, you know that was a good start for him on Monday. Um, well. One of the uh, one of the two blemishes this week was uh, Tuesday's game. That was the one lopsided loss of the week when Julio Tehran finally came back to earth. Julio had been 
you know, scalding hot, like a sub one ERA for a long while there. Um, and kind of, you know, fortunately for the Braves, they definitely needed him to be this good this season with the way that Fulte's pitched and the way that Gosman pitched. But um, Tehran finally hit the regression monster a little bit on Tuesday, giving up six runs, eight hits, uh, three walks. So 11 base runners in four innings is going to be uh, bad news for anybody. And the Braves pretty much got down 8 nothing in a hurry in that one. It was never really close. So, I mean, what do you think about Julio? I haven't asked you this necessarily directly. Do you think do you think that he, you know, obviously he was not quite as good as the numbers were before this, but is he someone who you are feeling comfortable with at this point, or is it still like you had your guard up with him? I mean, I've still got my guard up a little bit just because, uh, you know, I mean, he Julio, he's done it with mirrors, but I mean, the guys, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta appreciate um, the way he competes and, uh, the way he goes out there each and every start, he didn't have it the other day. He was, he was, um, you know, was he, it was, you know, it was one of those that you kind of, kind of feel coming just the way he's been going. Probably, uh, there was some spotty umpiring in that as well. Um, you know, I don't know that that really had anything to do with it. It just didn't seem like Julio was hitting his spots a whole lot. And if uh, the opposing team's not chasing and he has a hard time, but, you know, you really got to uh, take your hat off to him a little bit just because, I mean, the, the stat I saw today, was, which surprised me, was he, um, he's given up like one home run since April the 30th, and yeah. I had to check that twice, uh, you know, <laughs> because over the last two seasons, you know, that was the biggest knock on him. You, you know, he walked two guys and give up a three-run home run. And it would wreck a, you know, it would wreck a uh, what's been a pretty good start up until that point. But you, you know, it seemed like that happened, uh, you know, nearly every start, and that kind of really skewed his his numbers. Uh, but you know, he he's been able to give them innings, and uh, you know, and that's been really important this season, as I know we're going to talk about in a little bit when you factor in the struggles of Fultonevich and and Kevin Gossman. Um, you know, I, it's, it feels strange to say, but the Braves are 46 and 32 and, you know, where would they be with, without Julio Tehran, which is not something I expected to say, you know, in 2019. Oh, certainly. We, we're looking to be wrong on that. I'm definitely wrong to this point in the season on Julio. To your point about him avoiding home runs, the eight start stretch that he had, that was just incredible. For instance, in that eight starts before, um, before Tuesday against the Mets, the, the previous eight starts, his ERA went from 535 down to 292 in eight starts. And it's because he didn't allow a single home run in that stretch, uh, three runs or less in all, in all eight starts. And it wasn't like he was going deep into games. It was always five innings, six innings. It wasn't like he was going eight innings of just absolutely dominant baseball, but he's just pitching well. And, you know, Tuesday it was bad, as you said, and it, it felt bad from the jump, honestly. But... You know, to this point in the season, it's late June. Julio Tehran has a 3.4 ERA, and you know, kind of, no matter how you got there, no matter if that's a real number or not, you, you still banked a half season of starts from Julio Tehran with a 3.4 ERA, and that's a massive win based on what we, what, what we kind of thought it was going to be this year. You know, even an optimist for Julio might have projected an ERA in the high threes, low fours, and that's being optimistic based on the recent past. So 3.4, and you know, before that, before Tuesday, it was 2.92. That is a huge victory. So, you know, shouts to Julio Tehran because he's uh, he's been stable and that's been very very helpful for the Braves this year. Um, Wednesday was also a uh, I guess more of a bounce back win, which is good. You know, Max Freed pitched well, and after a while, when he wasn't pitching terribly well, that was good to see from him. Six innings, two runs, and six strikeouts for Freed in a game they needed to win. Uh, I guess not desperately considering where they are, but you know that was the series clinching victory on Wednesday and a, and a pretty pretty comfortable win over the Mets and I believe it was 7 to 2. Going into an off day with travel, it's always nice to get a victory going away there. Freed had been cooled off 
I guess the one I wanted to ask you about Freed is like, what is, what do you, what do you expect from him? Because, you know, overall his numbers don't look incredible. 4.03 ERA for the season. Um, but you know, before this recent sort of downturn, his ERA was in the low two. So it's not probably either one of those things for me. It's like, I think he's going to be a guy who maybe has an ERA in the low to mid threes, which is a very solid thing. But what do you make of Max Freed? Does he seem to be getting it back after this week or is it a situation where you're a little bit worried about how he pitched before that? Um, you know, I think it might be a situation where he's dying himself back in, but you know, it's, it's important to remember those first early good starts. I mean, you know, his, his peripherals, his fifth and all was still in the mid fours a lot of times. So you kind of felt like there was going to be a little regression. I think that's what we've seen, you know, of late, um, but, you know, he was my pick, uh, kind of as my dark horse guy for this season. And, you know, I've been pretty pleased with what I've seen from him in the first half. I know a lot of people had him penciled in as a as a key piece of this bullpen. And, and you know, I, for a while there, I thought that was a possibility. But I've never really give up on him as a starter. That's a guy that uh, uh, several se- two or three seasons ago, uh, you know, I saw him at Rome. And to me, of all the young pitchers that were down there, uh, he, he looked to be the most polished to me, and that says something considering Soroka was also on that staff. Uh, so, you know, I, I've been really impressed with Freed. Uh, I was good. It was good to see him get back and have some success this week uh, because he had gotten knocked around a little bit uh, of late. But, uh, you know, I agree with your, your synopsis of him. Uh, you know, I don't think he's a number one or a top of the rotation guy, but I think he's a, he's somebody that you can depend on. And, uh, you know, he's showing that if he's healthy, he can go out there and compete each each and every start. For sure, and you know, Freed's, Freed's stuff has never been the problem. When he looks good, he is—he uh, looks absolutely unhittable when he has it going. And, you know, it's consistency with him, kind of always has been. But we'll see how he looks in this next start, which could be Tuesday. We'll come back to that at the end. Um, getting into the Washington series a little bit. Obviously, the Braves had Thursday off. The headliner on Friday, despite there being a, a close-fought loss, was the Dallas Keuchel debut. He was not. Not necessarily good in this game, but it wasn't like he was terrible either. And I think, you know, his first start in a long, long time in the major league level, you can't be too upset with how he pitched, I would say. Uh, you know, five innings, eight eight um, hits, four runs, three earned, struck out three. Again, he was not terribly crisp, but at the same time, he, I think, is going to be important because, like Julio Tehran earlier, we were, we were talking about just the stability that he's supposed to be bringing is going to be helpful. And even then, the Braves led this game 3 nothing, and lost it 4-3 and because nobody scored on either side from the fifth inning on, which is kind of crazy. That hardly ever happens. But what did you make of Keuchel in his first start? You know, I'm, I, I, I always hesitate to make too much of one start for anyone, and that's especially true for someone who projects as this mid-rotation guy who hadn't pitched in so long. So I'm not really worried at all, but anything you wanted to uh, say about Keuchel and his debut and what you're looking for for him? Um, you know, I, I I thought the debut was solid, just considering that you know he's it's his first major league start since October. Um, you know, I mean he's he's a guy that's kind of you know I don't want to compare him to Julio. I think he's probably better than, than Tehran, but you know we're talking yes. about the same. Uh, we're talking about a guy that's you know he's not going to light up the radar gun. He knows how to pitch. Uh, you know, probably going to have some base runners, knows how to work in and out of uh, situations like that. So, you know, I'm not worried about him. I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to give the Braves some valuable innings. Uh, I think that was a big signing, especially given the situation with the rotation now. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm just anxious to see him get, you know, get four or five starts under his belt and let's see where, he, you know, how he looks and where he's at. But, uh, you know, that's a guy that's done it in the postseason. He knows how to pitch. I think he's going to be valuable 
for guys like Freed and Soroka on this uh, on this pitching staff, uh, you know, it's a veteran, the guy that's been there that they can talk to, and uh, you know, from that standpoint, I you know, I just think that's a that was a solid move uh, for the Braves at the time. Yeah, we, we've teased it a few times now. Let's talk about let's talk about Fulte at this point, uh, and let's sort of dive in a little bit. He was battered. He was battered again on Saturday. Um, you know, gave up eight runs uh, in four innings of work. Not new ground for Fultonavich, who has just not pitched well most of the season. Some of the quotes that were out there from Brian Snicker and Rick Kranitz, um, kind of maybe not you know throwing him under the bus, but some critical stuff about his emotions. And you know, it's not hard to see when Fulte is got in, sort of in his own head, but it's been rearing its ugly head a little bit more, and it comes on the heels of a better start against Philly in his last outing before this. So it was kind of a surprise in some ways, but his ERA is now 6.37 for the season. You just can't have that from the guy you're supposed to be your number one starter coming into the year. And we talked about this a little bit earlier before we get to Fulte himself, but it's kind of insane and worth mentioning again that Fulton Davis was easily the number one starter last season. He is an ERA north of six and the Braves are up six and a half games in the National League East. I tweeted this the other day, but the odds of that are just astronomical. That combination of Fulte being this bad and the Braves being this good. So that, that's a good thing, I suppose. But, I mean, Fulte's going to go net, and it seems like the right move, and no one really is protesting it, honestly. No, and I, I think it was the only move they could really make. I mean, other than just, uh, you know, doing uh, disabling him and uh, sending him, you know, on a rehab, uh, extended rehab assignment or, or something. Uh, you know, I I wonder. I mean, his his routine was thrown off big time in spring training. I mean, maybe one appearance, one inning, um, with that elbow issue. I don't think he's. I wonder if it's a situation where he's, uh, you know, healthy. If he's still feeling things, but I I really wondered that when the velocity numbers were down, you know, early on. But the velocity seemed to have come back uh, uh, over these last few starts. But I mean, he's still getting hit hard and. Uh, you know, I know there was uh, Fulte was on some lists coming into the season as regression candidate. You know, he had a, a pretty uh, pretty low BABIP, I believe, last year. Um, but you know, I don't think anybody expected him to be this bad. And uh, I, I believe you're right. Uh, it seemed like his emotions kind of spilled over Saturday. I mean, he's got to be uh, frustrated, especially if the velocity's back. He may be feeling good, but he's just simply not getting it any of the results that he's looking for. And, um, you know, that's got to be a tough situation. But sending him down, as disappointing as that may be, you know, perhaps just going down there and clearing his head and, and getting a fresh start, you know, maybe that'll, uh, maybe that'll be the, the way to, um, you know, salvage uh, what's left of this season. Yeah, on the one hand, it's easy to see, like you said, that he is frustrated. I'm sure it's sort of spilling over a little bit. On the other, he has a reputation for someone who gets – too high and too low on the mound, and that can really kind of affect you. And the, just the fact that it was something that both Snicker and Kranitz talked about in the post game was noteworthy because it's something that you know Snicker is well regarded for the way that he handles players. You don't really see him talking like that about guys unless it's warranted. That's why I guess to some people it wasn't a huge surprise that he was sent down. It didn't hit till the middle of the night, so I missed it until Sunday morning. But it did. It did feel when you put it all together with the quotes that were out there with his performance and the fact that the peripherals. I mean, he's not been terribly unlucky. Like his his FIP is over six. It's not like this is a situation where he's just been really unlucky. He's been not a good pitcher this year. He's allowing more than two. Oh, sorry, almost two and a half home runs per nine innings, which his career high before this was like one point seven, um, and that was a bad season in his first in the first stint with the Braves. And since then, it's been like in the one one to one three range. So 
The home runs are up. Their home runs are up. That's probably a uh, a sign of lack of stuff. His strikeout rate's way down this year. That's uh, that's alarming as well. So a lot of bad things to look at for Fulton Amish. Hopefully, like you said, it'll be clear as head situation in Gwinnett. But they're going to need him. I mean, because the rotation without him, we talk about that now a little bit. I mean, we mentioned Sean Newcomb before as an option, but they don't really have a perfect replacement for Mike Fultonavich because Kevin Gosman they sort of exiled um, with Dallas Keiko coming up and some of the some of the guys who were expected to be in the mix this year, you know, Kyle Wright's been bad in Gwinnett and really struggled when he was in the majors. Tuki Toussaint has been really struggling recently at times in the bullpen. They don't have a natural replacement. I mean, maybe it's Newcomb, but you know, for a while there Newcomb was pitching awesome in the bullpen. So it wasn't like you wanted to desperately move him from the bullpen back to the rotation. So what do you think they're gonna do? I guess is the question that I'll ask. And then if it's something else that you would do, say that as well. But there's not really a perfect solution right now with uh, with Fulte out of there. No, and you're right. And uh, I mean, who would have thunk that the Braves would be in this uh, situation uh, they're in right now at the top of the division? And for the most part, you know, Fultonevich and, and Kevin Gossman have been non-factors or detriments to that record, you know, all season. And, uh, you know, you the crazy thing, I, I really think, you know, that Gossman will get another chance. I think a lot of people uh, felt like when, once he was sent out you know that was going to be the it, it for him but I think he'll get another chance and I mean he's still he's had a weird season in a lot of ways with his peripherals still aren't that bad even though uh, you know he was he was terrible in his last three starts uh, but it was a little bit unlucky early on as well so I, I don't understand you know he's he's scrapped his slider um, you know, I wonder, it'll be interesting to see if he, you know, he goes back to that some as, when he does get back to the big league level. Uh, but I think it's going to be Sean Newcomb. Um, if, you know, at least in the near term, he was great out of the bullpen, you know, and I wonder if that's not his, uh, you know, that's where his future lies. Uh, but like you said, uh, there's not really, Tukey's not, uh, settled in. I mean, quite like I think a lot of people would have wished, but you know, it's probably, with all these young guys, you know, you can't expect them all just to be light, lights out the way Soroka and, uh, you know, has, has been at times. So, um, but it is a strange situation. I mean, we felt like the Braves had all these uh, starting pitching options, you know, coming into the season. And here they are, you know, they may need to go out and get a, a starter if, uh, you know, Fultonevich still continues to struggle, if Gossman's not the answer. And, you know, they don't really have another person to, to fit in, fill in there. You know. Yeah, they're, they're going to need to do something, probably. I mean, unless Gosman, you know, Gosman, it's worth noting, um, it was reported this week that he went down to Florida and is going to be working um, with the Gulf Coast League team um, this week when uh, things convene with Rookie League season. And I guess the plan at this point in time is what Snicker told the media this week was that Gosman's still being viewed as a starter. Um so that take that for what it's worth. I'm, I'm sure it's not going to be this week for Gosman, but maybe he finds something, and we'll see where he is in the future. But you know, for this week, it's I agree. I mean, I think the most likely guy is Newcomb. But long term, this isn't this isn't great. They're probably going to have to go get somebody at some point, and if it's maybe they fall into it with Gosman, but you know, at the moment there isn't a ton of safety outside of. You know, I think Soroka has obviously been awesome. Keiko, you can probably rely on. Julio isn't going anywhere for a while unless he unless he really falls off the cliff and free. I mean, those four guys, for the moment, are um, safely in there. But you're gonna need a fifth. You're gonna probably need a sixth at some point. And uh, keep an eye on the uh, on the market. And we're now getting to the point where in late June, trade stuff's gonna start heating up. It won't be immediate necessarily, but you know, in the next month, you're gonna start seeing some trade stuff fly. We're now on that point where you can't just say it's too early to make trades. They're going to be coming, so just keep an eye on that 
as well. We'll spend some more time as we get closer to free, uh, closer to the trade deadline on uh, those situations. Um, let's see. You know, the, the rest of the weekend went pretty well, actually, for the Braves. As we mentioned before, Saturday, they came back and won that game despite Fulte getting just beaten up badly. Um, you know, they uh, had the big finish with the, the big finish with Camargo and Swanson. In fact, Camargo had a really nice weekend, which is good to see from him and a guy who needed that, I think. Um, and then into Sunday, another win. It took uh, a little bit of extra time, but uh, a two-run homer from Johan Camargo again in the in the 10th inning. Luke Jackson struggled in the 10th, but managed to put it away. Um, and people were – I tweeted out his stats actually on Saturday afternoon before the game on Saturday – and how he had been leading the National League among relievers in uh, Fangraph's war since May 10th. May 10th is the magical day when the Braves were 18, 18 and 20. And people got really mad at me. And all I said was, these are the numbers. I wasn't I wasn't like arguing on behalf of Luke Jackson. I wasn't saying he's Mariano Rivera or Craig Kimbrell. Uh, I was just saying, these are the numbers. And then, of course, he struggled Saturday, struggled Sunday, and uh, here we are. But, I mean, they won both games. Are you terrified of Luke Jackson? I guess probably a good place to have this be our last topic because he's probably the, despite the game, the fact that the, the, they won this game on Sunday. Again, they won this game on Sunday and the Braves are rolling. But in my mentions and other people's mentions, I think that um, the number one topic on Sunday was Luke Jackson. So where are you at on him? Uh, yes, he terrifies me. It's um, <laughs> the only way. It's the only way I know to put it. And uh, you know, and and I don't I don't mean that um, quite the way it sounds, but. Uh, you know, it's it's just another ironic uh, part of this season. Uh, you know, if I told you before the season that Fulte was going to have six plus ERA, Kevin Gossman was going to be terrible, and Luke Jackson would be the team's closer, and they would still be in first place. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, who would have who would have you know who would have believed that? Um, no one. But uh, I mean, Jackson. You know, the numbers. I know. I know what they are. But I mean, it, it's it's still the same situation that it was. I think coming out of spring training, we know we knew then, we know now they're going to have to go get some bullpen help, and you know it may not be required to win the division. I don't think the division race is over by any means. Um, no, it's you know not. I don't think the, I don't think the Phillies are just going to you know go away and and die you know with this uh, this losing streak. Although that has he- definitely helped keep keep the pressure off the Braves right now. Uh, but you know, at some point they're going to have to have, uh, I think some upgrades in the bullpen. And, you know, as we just mentioned, maybe even another starter at, at some point, um, that problem was there. I, we felt like it was there in the off season. I feel like it's still kind of there hats off to Luke Jackson for plugging that hole as long as he has. But, you know, I, I just, one of those situations where I'm just really still not comfortable. I'd be a whole lot more comfortable with him coming in in the seventh. Um, yeah, in a I lot mean, of situations, or less, a little less high, lower leverage situation than you know than what we've seen. Uh, but you know, he's got good stuff. Stuff's always been there. Um, but you know, it just—I don't know. It's it, there's just a lot of maybe it's just because I've watched this team for the last four years and I've seen him, you know, be the guy that got bounced off the roster, and it's hard for me to get past that. I think that's the situation with a lot of the fans. Yeah, out it's, there, that, but, uh, that's, pro- that's probably part of it. And listen, I mean, it's been quite a journey for Luke Jackson from being the guy who, like you said, got jettisoned a few times last season. When it was kind of a surprise when he even made the team this year in some ways. And then he struggled early. He had the really rough time that opening weekend. And it was like, all right, get this guy, get, get this guy out of here, please. And then he was like flat out awesome for like, I don't know, 20 appearances, something outrageous. Like he was really, really, really good. And now, recently, he's not been. But listen, his season-long numbers are still really good. Like, his strikeout-to-walk ratio is, like, 
four and a half, five to one. That's awesome. His ERA is three point oh eight. That's good. His, his peripherals are better than that. You know, his strikeout to you know everything's been really good. But like you said, no one feels comfortable with Luke Jackson as a closer. I think you know it's one thing to argue that he's been pretty good, as I would. It's another to say he should be the closer and obviously the closer long term. Now the the problem is on this roster and the one that I always ask right now is who who else do you want it to be? Um, I think I guess it's probably Anthony Schwarzak. It's not it's not a popular name that people throw out there because he's been awesome since he got to Atlanta. Um, but when he was when he was acquired, people were like, "This guy's terrible. Look at his ERA." <laughs> so it's not a situation where there is another ideal option. AJ Minter was supposed to be that guy. He has not been good in the majors this season on the whole. So. I mean, I'm not. I'm not arguing. It's not really me arguing on behalf of Luke Jackson as a great closer because he's absolutely not that. But I also understand what Snicker's doing and that he has probably been the best option this season. So what are you, what are you going to do? No one loves it. No one's comfortable with Luke Jackson as a, you know, NL East favorite team's closer. That's not a situation where anyone is on board. I don't think. But he's been good enough to where if he was if he was a seventh inning guy doing this, people would be in love with it. So oh, no. it's. It's the blown saves. I, I get that. Six blown saves is the glaring number, and I understand that. But if he was in a situation that he probably should be in on a normal team this good, which is not the closer, he would be really someone who everyone was talking about in a positive way. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And like you said, I mean, he, he came into the season when the opening day, he felt like a placeholder on that roster because he was there because of a mentor was hurt. You know, and a couple of other injuries, uh, you know, the pitching staff. And he just felt like a placeholder. You know, I, I think he's earned. I think he's a spot of the, in this bullpen. I, you know, I think he's a piece in the in the bullpen. Now, we know how volatile that can be. That can mean, you know, he's really good this year and he's really terrible again next year. We've seen that over the last couple of years uh, anyway with guys like Sam Freeman, Ian Kroll, if you go back a little bit longer. Um, you know, that's a volatile position, but uh, – with uh, uh, Jackson, I think he's earned it. Uh, you know, I think he's earned a spot in this bullpen, and I think he's, you know, one of the more effective options. But it's just like you said, you'd like to see a little more depth there. Shorzak's been great. You know, I hope, I think that t- they've got to hope that A.J. Minner, um, you know, uh, shows what they were hoping they had in him, you know, that he could be, you know, a guy that you could throw out there in the ninth inning. You know, it hasn't, for whatever reason, uh, you know, the injury in spring training, whatever, you know, that's not been the case yet. Um, I think Jackson's done a good job stepping in and filling that hole. Um, but, you know, it, it, the situation really hasn't changed that much since the the start of the season. That They're going to need bullpen help at some point. And you, you just got to feel like they're going to address that. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, this good stretch is uh, buying them extra time. But, you know, that's something yeah. I think we're going to see. That's something I think we're going to see uh, by the trade deadline. Uh, you know, especially even if you know if you're not looking at the division. I mean, to have any any hope in the playoffs, I think you know they know they're going to have to address that. Yeah, I would hope so. And just for the record, on AJ Minter, who we all kind of agree is the most talented guy, he has a 7.41 ERA and a he is he's allowed 34 base runners in 17 innings, 15 walks in 17 innings. So that's like you know eight per nine innings. That isn't going to get it done. Let's just say that. So we'll see what happens with Mentor, and hopefully they can get by with Schwarzak and Jackson for a little bit longer until they do something in the bullpen. All right, let's look ahead a little bit before I let you get out of here, Chris. Um, this week, they go to Chicago for four. That's a tough, tough situation because the, the Cubs are still good at baseball. Um, you know, Chicago at this particular moment is 42-35 and 35 and leading the Central. That was not surprising anyone because they are very talented and good. Um, that's t- that's a tough series, followed by three on the road in New York against the Mets. 
the Mets we talked about earlier who are struggling a little bit, but still it's a division rival and a team that could certainly beat you. Uh, by the way, if you want to watch one game this week, I, re- I recommend Friday night's game between if Soroka can come back and pitch, he got hit, he got hit, by, hit, by, hit by a pitch today. seems like he's going to be maybe okay to pitch on Friday. If he does, Soroka against Jacob deGrom on Friday night is the projected face-off, and that doesn't get any better than that. So circle that one. But anything you're looking for this week, it's not in the easiest, easiest seven-game stretch in the world. No off day. They had the early getaway game on Wednesday in Chicago, but it's not even a getaway game. It's like kind of weird. They Sorry, is that wrong? Yeah, no, I'm reading that wrong. Sorry, Thursday's the getaway, getaway day game in Chicago, the 220 to travel to New York. But no, no days off and seven straight road games. Uh, I feel like this series is kind of a measuring stick. You remember the Braves handled the Cubs really well in that opening weekend series at SunTrust Park, swept them three straight games. But that's kind of a different Cubs team then, and as the Braves are kind of a different Braves team now. Uh, a lot of things have changed. The Cubs are, are good. Uh, they're probably still the favorite in the Central, uh, although Milwaukee and uh, St. Louis are, are, you know, right there in the race as well. But, uh, you know, I think if if you were a betting man, you know, most people would lay their money on the Cubs the rest of the way. But, uh, you know, I feel like that's kind of a, you know, that's kind of a measuring stick. I don't think it's too early in the season to have a, a series like that. So, you know, you it's one you go in. You hope you can, uh, you know, salvage a split. Um, you know, void, uh, and, and then move on to New York, who you know you've pretty much owned uh, of late. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, and you hope you you can keep pushing them over the edge. Uh, it seems like they're on the brink of it anyway. So, yeah, it should be fun to watch this week. And listen, you know, jam packed wall to wall stuff. And uh, you know, it, that two twenty game is always weird in Chicago. So uh, weird stuff happens. But I think the Braves are going to be in good shape. And that, by the way, Thursday is the game where we don't know who's going to pitch. So that's the one that's got the most weirdness. I think we can assume for now Sirok will be back on, on Friday. But until then, it's Julio, it's Max Fried, it's Dallas Keuchel's second start on Wednesday. And then a big, fat question mark on Thursday. That's something to keep in mind for the future. Uh, all right, Chris, well, we, I've taken up too much of your time at this point, my friend. Uh, please tell people where they can find you, because I know uh, you're a very busy man. You're running the show, you're running the flagship and all that fun stuff. So people need to know what's going on at Talking Chop, what's coming up next for you and the site and all that fun stuff. Uh, you know, you can find me at TalkingChop.com. Um, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris with, Chris with a K underscore Willis. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate you having me on tonight. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, this fun Braves team to watch, you know, so, uh, you know, it's, if you're just now tuning in, you know, now's a great time. Uh, team's playing well, playing their best baseball of the season. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be that way from now to the end. Yeah, hopefully so. And, uh, we'll still be here on this podcast every week, even, even when they don't play well, um, we'll be here. Also road to Atlanta has been plugging along, uh, hosted by the great Eric Cole and those guys, those guys do a great job. They're faithful and, you know, you know, Wednesday, Thursday each week. So you, you get your two podcasts on this feed, um, pretty much minimum every week, which is fun. Uh, so please subscribe via the platform of your choice. And of course, check out the entire site's work led by Chris and Demetrius and Eric. And I'm right. Occasionally Scott, uh, Ivan, everybody that's there. We have plenty of talent and plenty of people that write very well and cover the team um, sort of top to bottom. So please check out all that stuff. Thanks again, Chris, for joining me, my friend. We'll do it again very soon. All right, sounds good, Brad. Appreciate it. As everybody else, we'll see you guys uh, in just seven days. So stay tuned for that.